0: Welcome, everybody, to the Relaunch Podcast. And there are those moments in time when I bring to you someone that will literally impact your life, change the way you think about life experiences. And I am so beyond excited to share this individual's story. They call this like there's this sleeping giant in every human. And Brian's purpose in life, who you're going to be meeting, is to awaken those giants within and turn them into legends by helping them grab what they believe is just out of their grasp. Brian is a heart surgeon without a blade. He does not start outside with what you need to do. He starts inside with who you are. In a world that is disconnected, Brian is revolutionizing how individuals, leaders and entrepreneurs deeply connect with their authentic selves to achieve the best version of themselves. At just seven years old, Brian faced, and we're gonna go into this with the relaunch, so I am not gonna give you the details, but based on his struggles, what he had to go through, The fact that he is here now willing to share his story is literally going to keep you at the edge of your seat. And his belief that everyone's story is as important as his own is what makes him one of the most accessible, relatable, that's what I really love, and authentic individuals that you will ever meet. You're listening to the Relaunch Podcast and I'm your host Hillary DeCesar, best-selling author, speaker, and transformational coach widely recognized in the worlds of neuropsychology and business launches, which cultivated the one and only 3HQ method, helping midlife women, yep, that's me too, rebuild a life of purpose, possibility and inspiring business ventures. Each week We'll be diving into the stories that brought upon the most inspirational relaunches while sharing the methods and the secrets that they learned along the way so that you too can have not just an ordinary relaunch, but an extraordinary relaunch. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce you to a gentleman, Brian Bogert. And Brian, thank you for being here and going down this relaunch journey with me.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to be here with you, Hillary. I like I was mentioning to you pre-show, I've had multiple relaunches. I've got a Phoenix bird tattooed on my right arm because I've burned myself to ashes and, and risen from those multiple times. And it's always in those moments that I see my greatest growth, my greatest transformation and typically a ripple effective impact that follows. And so uh, it's, it's, I'm excited to be here with you today.
0: Well, it's, it's fantastic. And I know before we were talking and I, you know, I'm, I'm so interested in people and how they, it, it's the comeback. It's the ability to go down and relaunch. You know, I always think, you know, you get knocked down, but you get up again. And it's like, I love finding out how people do that to inspire others so I know that I, I cut it out of your bio because I do really want people to hear it directly from you versus me you know transcribing yeah. and so tell us about what did happen when you were seven mm-hmm.
1: yeah August 10th 1992 it was six ten p.m it was 115 degree day in Phoenix Arizona mm-hmm. my mom my brother and I had gone to our local Walmart to just get a one inch paintbrush to complete a home improvement project And as we were headed back to the car, it was no surprise to my mom or my brother that I was the first one there. What you'll already notice is I talk fast. I walk fast. I move fast. And when I say often often in the beginning of a podcast is like, look, I also come with the desire to add as much value and impact as possible. So I tell people like, Hey, if you have a hard time tracking, slow me down to half speed so you can absorb it and re-listen. That's my style because I want to come in and impact. But why was I the first one in the car? I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. And this was back in the days before there was key fobs, right? So I had to wait for my mom to literally stick her hand in the purse, grab the key, stick it in the door, turn it. <laughs> so that we could go on with our way, right? And while yeah, that for, was For all... us
0: older people, I still under, I get that. I know all about those days.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. do too. My first car was a physical key. Like it's, you Heck know, yeah. but, but it was just, it was one of those things. But it's the reason it's, it's so important to think about that is it's, Today, we don't even think about our car is unlocked. And in today's world, I might have been sitting in the back seat by the time everything else took place, which happened in those few moments. There was a truck that pulled up in front of the store and parked. The driver and the middle passenger got out, and the passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So Hillary, he did what any one of us would do and scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force, threw him up on the steering wheel, threw him up on the dashboard. He was unable to get off. And by the time he got to us, he was going 42 miles an hour across the parking lot with us having zero time to react. So we were in an end spot. He goes up and over the median, hits the tree, goes over the tree, hits our car, knocks me to the ground and runs over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar on my stomach and continuing on to sever my left arm completely from my body. Oh, my God. The next thing my mom hears is my brother's voice that says, Mom, Brian's arm is over there. And as Mm -hmm. she gazes up the parking lot at 10 feet across, she sees a trail of muscle that's cooking like hamburger on the asphalt, right? Wow. Reality is I have to pause and always acknowledge the woman that is responsible for me being here beyond my mom, because she definitely is is responsible for a lot of that. But there was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place, and she saw Mm -hmm. the literal life and limb scenario that took place in front of her. And she rushed immediately into action. Now, I've said for years that I was forever indebted to this woman, but that comment became even more powerful when I met her for the first time on the 30th anniversary last year.
0: Oh, and chills on that. That is so yeah, amazing. Yeah, it, it was a magical
1: moment. And, and as we were talking, I come to find out that she had a friend with her that day that had the same nurse training at the same level that she did who turned to go on with her day. Now, what I want to be clear on is I have no malice, no negative energy. No, She had every right to do that and that mm-hmm. I don't have a negative energy. But what I'm trying to reinforce is the power of a singular choice by a singular person and the ripple effect that took place because the woman who did save my life came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound, which guaranteed my, my survival. But she also simultaneously instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler so that my arm could get on ice within minutes. Had she not done one or both of those things, I either wouldn't be here with you today or yes. I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. That's just the reality. And so what I do know, and what I have to always say after I tell this story, because I've been telling it for so long, right. the more I've told it, the more I hear so many other incredible stories. And the reality of it is, is it's, it's not just my story, right? It's, it's your story. It's your ability to pause long enough to become aware of the lessons you can extract from your story so you can become intentional in how you apply them in your life moving forward, right? And we all have the ability to do that. But we also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. Now, I've, I've literally paid a lot of dues in my life. I've called myself a practitioner, of pain, and I can experience that financially, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally, right? But what that also means is that I've understood how to move through that pain and how to create freedom in my life in a variety of ways. And now today, that's what we try to do is to unlock and free other people to live the lives that they want not to be like me or my story.
0: And so it's really fascinating. I am sitting here and I just got chills up and down my entire body. I had forgotten about a situation that happened until you shared your story. And that situation Mm. was when my twins were learning how to drive, they would drive to school. And that situation where one of the kids thought they had put the car in park. Mm. they didn't and i didn't have the chance i there were kids right in front of us about probably 20 feet in front because it's carpool and i knew i couldn't race around to get to the other side and get yeah. in so i jumped over the you know the little mid part of the car yeah and I literally tapped the gas before I was consciously aware, dang, dang. thank mm. God, and immediately put my foot on the, but I was literally going towards this little boy who is taking yeah. his backpack out of the back of his car. I mean, Oh my God, this just flooded back into, I got I honestly yeah. feel like sick to my stomach right now with, with that story. And I remember like, nothing happened you know everything was just fine and i never really thought of it again never because nothing ever happened and it was fine and you know all that but until you just said that so this this happened at seven and your mom and your brother were fine is that correct they physically
1: yes they saw things that i will never see but yes Right,
0: right physically but emotionally i was the only one injured yeah. So the trauma, though, they have is a very different type of trauma. Yep. So from there, you started to go through a series because I, I just if you're watching this as a video, you can see his arm. Brian's got, you know, definitely scars. And but my God, you got the arm. You got the arm. That what arm. Is the it. arm. It's right next the to arm. me. It's my own. And yeah. and so what happened? Like, what was the course that took you? Because I know you had yet another experience when you were older with the same arm so let's let's talk about what happened and and kind of walk through that
1: well let's let's take it in chunks because i think that'll make some sense and and let's let's address the chunk like right after the accident right and and i'll tell you that really a couple of my core lessons were embedded in that period of time because even though i was in a fog my parents certainly were not Mm -hmm. right and they were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments years of physical therapy And the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm became a source of great potential suffering for them. So they literally willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary to do what was tough to ultimately strengthen and heal me. Right. And so though it was probably not intentional, what they did was they embedded in me a way of living and a concept and philosophy that I teach, which is to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And I also believe this is where we gain freedom. Now we won't go deep on that for the moment, but what I'll tell you is, is In that period of my life, even though that's when that lesson was formed, that wasn't exactly how I was living in every aspect, right? I came out of the hospital at seven years old, and I immediately remember a variety of things. First, I recall sitting in the hospital originally and thinking to myself at age seven, like, what is my life going to look like? Why me? Feeling sorry for myself as early and as young as I was.
0: Yeah, you were in second right. grade, right? That's the second grade. Second
1: grade. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was actually pre-second grade. I was the summer yeah. right before my second grade uh-huh. year. So the first yeah. half of my second grade, I had a homeschool teacher because I couldn't go to school. And so like it was a total adjustment. We had just gotten back from actually living abroad because we had been in England for my first grade year. And so that's a whole other story. But the reality of it is, is when I came back and we're sitting here, I remember feeling sorry for myself. Mm. And then families in the ICU started coming up to us and were saying, we're so sorry, we're so sorry for what happened to you and come to find out their kids laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness and doesn't know if they're gonna live another 30 days.
0: Hmm.
1: Right? That was another primary lesson that I got in that period of time is I learned not to get stuck by what had happened to me, but instead got, I learned to get moved by what I could do with it. Hmm. And I believe that move people, move people. And so on our mission to impact over a billion lives as quickly as possible, I'm trying to move as many as possible because they'll move more right that's how we can get a ripple effect through the world but i also remember then coming out of the hospital thinking like okay cool like i'm the normal one i'm not gonna die in 30 days and then i've got a teddy bear in between my arm because my arm has to be at 90 degrees so it's clear my arm is broken and inevitably people ask what happened to you well they were expecting me to be like well i was racing my brother down the street and i crashed or i flew off the jungle jammer but my reality was just very matter of fact i was run over by a truck and my left arm was torn off And inevitably, what they would do 99% of the time is they would pause. They'd turn to my parents for validation, which told me that they didn't believe my own truth. They didn't believe my story, right? So I remember at seven starting to realize like, okay, if I'm not being seen and understood, I don't feel connected. I don't feel protected. I don't feel safe, which are the four things we all seek and desire in the human connection and human experience, right? Right. And so the reality of it is what what, what happens, I start realizing, okay, well, my truth isn't being told. And then on top of that, those same people would start viewing me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my situation, immediately limiting what I was going to be able to do in my life.
0: Right.
1: And I I remember, and though these weren't my words at the time, it was the expression I certainly felt. My internal reaction was like, that, Mm -hmm. right? And so what happened? I formed a mental narrative in that period of time which because I was told mental toughness, mental, like, this is it. If I, you, you just need to be mentally strong through this period, right? So that's what I focused on. Brian's good. Brian's strong. Brian's capable. Brian can do anything himself. And I lived that way for 13 years. And I did a lot of epic stuff. And I overcame lots and lots and lots. And I was proving to myself, more than anyone, that I could, but it was also the external world that was still telling me that they believed I couldn't. And I was believing it. So I had to constantly fight through this process of getting myself there. And and it served me well to fast forward to that next pivotal element at age 20. I went snowboarding. I was a pretty damn good snowboarder. I could fall down and dig in an edge and pop right back up. Like nothing ever skipped. I didn't fall that often, but one time I fell and I went down and immediately I knew that my arm broke my left arm and Long story short on what happened there, that period of time taught me more up at that point in my life than my original accident did. Oh, and I used was- to think that my accident was my transformation story. Mm-hmm. The reality of it was, is it was the thing that created all the trash from my past that I had just learned to bury. Every time I pushed through, I pushed down. Every time I pushed through, I pushed down. And I didn't realize how much I disconnected myself and how much I really hid behind that mental narrative, which was armor and protection. You know, right? I
0: think that that's so critical for people to really understand that armor and protection, you know, the, I, I call it hell in the hallway, keep putting things behind those doors, you know, mm-hmm. keep closing them, but eventually the doors will open. We, but, we,
1: we, teach, we teach a lot around the concept of armor and what it's yeah, actually protecting. Totally. And I believe that typically whenever we try to protect ourselves, we're guaranteeing that we'll disconnect ourselves, so, right? Gonna, and I'm so... Gonna,
0: I I wanna go back though, you did say some of the core lessons, embrace pain to avoid suffering and not to get stuck, be moved. Can you go into a little bit more detail around what that actually really means to you, especially core lessons, embrace pain to avoid suffering?
1: Yeah, I'll give you an expedited version of that and then I'll, I'll bring it full circle even to this next period of life that was a part of this story. First, we have to understand pain, and we have to understand suffering for us to be able to, uh, uh, you know, understand this concept, right? And what does the world tell us? The world tells us to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain at all costs, right? right. That's literally what we hear. We, I mean, we see commercials all the time, and billboards, and banners, and everything to give us any amount of relief in the moment, because that's all we can exist in. Well, pain is defined as short-term, intermittent, and a direct cause of something, and alleviated once that direct cause is removed. So then we as humans put adjectives in front of it, which screw up the definition like acute and chronic. Now acute maintains it, but chronic inherently changes the definition because it implies that it persists after that direct cause is removed. So it's not really pain. It's actually suffering. We don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. But the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So until you accept the current state of things, you cannot alter them. And so for us, we have to understand what is this dynamic and how do these play off of each other? Okay, so I'll give a few examples. We can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains from a sedentary lifestyle. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of either being stuck in a loveless marriage or wanting to get out of a marriage and feeling like you absolutely cannot, right? You can embrace the pain of the fit your kids are sure to throw by having them shut off the TV or put down the mobile devices at dinner time to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation that you'll never get back. As a business owner, you can embrace the pain of firing your top salesperson who's contributing the most to top-line growth Mm
0: -hmm. to avoid
1: the suffering of stagnation and losing all your other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in your culture, right? The reality of it is, is that there is a thought process and a philosophy and we teach a framework around this, but that's the concept. And I believe that this is something that we can apply in every area of our lives, which is literally like identifying and acknowledging the suffering we wish to avoid, identifying the pains we tend to avoid and learning to embrace them, and then establishes that a habit, right? Now, here's the trick. The pains we tend to avoid, most people think the things that are keeping them stuck, keeping you stuck, are because you have the wrong strategy and tactics in your world. If I get the best sales system, if I make this amount of money, if I get to this outcome, if I do that,
0: all my problems are going to go away. Right, it's always that. Right? If I have that, if I have that, if I have that, yep.
1: Strategies and tactics are critically important for leveraging your business and your life, but it is not what keeps you stuck. Inevitably, the trash from your past, which is connected to the emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning are always what will show up and be the repeat patterns, the fatal flaws, the things you thought you worked through but continue to resurface in your life. Those places that still keep you feeling unworthy, disconnected, right, or any other negative low frequency energy. If you're existing there, there's unresolved trash from your past, and it may not be connected to a trauma, but it's showing up in your real time life. And so that is the concept of embrace pain to avoid suffering. Let's talk
0: about that, that it shows up in real time in your life. Because a lot of times um, we're going so fast through life that we miss the clues. We don't even want to see what's right in front of us, we don't want to hear. and and we don't even want to listen to what we're being guided how do you help people because i know you have you know through all of the relaunches that you've been through you've come up with some really incredible strategies to help people with that what if people are listening right now it's like okay hey how do i even start how do i even start to go down this path of being able to do this
1: yeah. You know, there's the the primary core concept that we really are teaching people on how to deal with these pieces right now, mm-hmm. which are to get yourself out of the fight or flight state, the reactionary state, to put yourself into a calm, diffuse, neutral state that you yeah. can respond, right? Like that's the goal for so many. And yet we continually find ourselves repeating these patterns. So what is a trigger moment? What is, a, what is the trash from our past? I'll give a few examples. It's that moment when your spouse looks at you, and implies or you receive that you've loaded the dishwasher incorrectly, but it has nothing to do with the dishwasher and nothing to do with your spouse and everything to do with how your grandpa looked at you when you were four, right? It's, it's that moment where I was sitting in a boardroom with a multi-billion dollar client knowing that the prior six months, I was the one that opened the door. I was the one that built the relationships. I was the one that coordinated the teams. And I don't say that from an ownership perspective, because when I brought the team in, they'd lean over and tap me on the shoulder and say, Shh, You can't talk so fast. You can't talk so loud. And even though I was the one responsible for everyone being in that room, what would I do? I'd still shrink down. I'd bite my tongue. I'd feel less worthy. It's those moments when my wife used to ask me something as simple as, Hey, honey, what do you want to do with the kids this weekend? And my shame filter would cause me to hear it this way, which was, Hey, honey, you've not done enough to be a good husband and father here recently. So what are you going to do to make up for it this weekend? Not what my wife said, but that's what I heard and reacted to. Now, all of a sudden, what have I done? I've gotten defensive. I've elevated and I rattle off the 10 things I've done to show her I'm a good husband and father. That wasn't even what she asked, right? The trash from our past are those things that cause us to tie historical moments and cellular memory to Mm -hmm. present state. 99% 99% of the time, by the way, what you're reacting to has nothing to do with what's right in front of you and everything to do with the trash from your past.
0: Uh, let's and so say we that. Teach... Hold on. Let's say that again, because that is so important. That so 99% the time... of the
1: time, what you're reacting to has nothing to do with what's right in front of you and everything to do with the trash from your past.
0: Right. So with that said, as you go through starting to work with someone and you hear it, you're like, all right, all right, they're saying this, but I know what they're really meaning is this, because you have the experience now, you have that, that coaching, you know, sense, but how do you get people to start to look at it on a different level, on a different level that, you know what, I know that's what's triggering me, but that's not the real problem.
1: Yeah. Well, There's a whole framework that we guide people through with our pillars that I don't know that we have time to cover completely on the show. So I'm going to hit the tops of the waves. Perfect.
0: I love just the very, very, very
1: first, the very, very first point that people have to get to is, is two things. One, you have to admit that there's actually trash from your past and that it is somehow creating or dumping garbage in areas of your world. Okay. And here's the reality. Most people are like, well, I don't have trash. I don't know if I have trash. Just listen to this question. And if you feel anything that doesn't feel good or positive, you have trash. Who was the last person that made you feel like garbage? Everyone has trash, myself included. Here's the catch the trash from your past is not your fault, but it does become your responsibility once you become aware of it or you start burying others in yours. What do I mean by it's not your fault? Most of the time, it's generationally inherited. It's patterned down. My wife and I have been able to trace our own personal triggers back three generations in our own family lines to understand the patterns that just happen subconsciously because we don't even know what's going on, right? So those are the two things we have to get to out of the gate is that you have trash. And oh, by the way, it's not your fault. So let's stop the blame and shame game because that just eliminates, it eliminates all forward progress. And the problem with most awareness is that most people just become more aware of all the ways that you should be judging yourself instead of actually understanding what to do about it. Okay. So we teach pillars and I'll list what they all are, but I I can't break them all down for you. Awareness is always going to come first.
0: Totally. I agree.
1: Right. Because you cannot be intentional with what you're unaware of. When we talk about five pillars, I want to be clear too, this isn't a linear process. It's more like an infinity sign that you're constantly weaving back in and out of, okay? Because there is no final destination.
0: Before you go into the next one, awareness, you know, even I find sometimes people have a difficult time saying, well, what's the best way to be aware And I know what I always encourage people to do is, you know, you have to have a, I call it the pause principle. You got to, you got to pause throughout your day. You can't just, if you're running so fast, if you are, you know, high octane all the time, you're missing Mm -hmm. it. You can't be aware of everything. Like if you're driving a Maserati on the highway and you're going, you know, 150 to whatever it goes up to, you're going to miss things along because you can't see them. They're going by so fast. And so how do you share that? Like, Hey, here's how you have to be aware. Here's a first step.
1: Yeah. So I think the point you make is very valid and that's a pattern I used to exist in. Um, You know, my do, 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 self. Right. Didn't ever allow me to be right. And when I couldn't be, I couldn't feel, I couldn't think, I couldn't understand, I couldn't reason, I couldn't any of it that allowed me to move. Right. So even what you just said, I think so many people were given a gift just three years ago, because the entire world was knocked out of autopilot simultaneously. And all of our morning routines went out the window that we would forget how we got to the office 50% of the time, because we were just in autopilot. Now, all of a sudden, every muscle was being flexed in our bodies, minds, souls on adjusting to this change, right? And everybody felt it. But look what happened. Alcohol abuse went up, drug abuse went up. domestic abuse rates went up, suicide rates went up because people have a really hard time sitting still and actually allowing themselves to be okay because they're afraid to sit in those moments of garbage. Okay. So I have to just reinforce what you said, because that's the very first thing, by the way, if you can remove the blame and shame, it's less scary to sit in it. Okay. Because again, awareness is not about just becoming more aware of all the ways you should be judging yourself. Awareness is about extracting how you feel the narratives and the lessons tied to your experiences that allow you to see you more clearly. This is about perspective. This is I about understanding. Like
0: extracting how you feel. I like that it's the concept. most important piece. Love the concept right there. Because if that is the biggest takeaway right now, that is so good understanding how do you feel understanding where it's resonating in your body understanding what situations do to you ah oh, every time that person walks in the room oh, i get all riled up or you know every time that person i just think oh yep. mom like oh horrible yeah so so great to just have that you know concept of of taking it in of of having the i there's this um, program, meditation program, you've heard Headspace, right? And one of the things they always get you to do is start at your head and literally scan your body. Where are you feeling it? And what you're telling us to do is exactly that. Exactly that. Scan it. Yeah.
1: And we get, we get even more detailed into that in one of our pillars specifically, because it is really about getting in the body even more so. So awareness for most people just starts at the understanding of these pieces at the highest level. But ultimately, throughout the pillars, we get a lot deeper because we have to, right? Because here's the reality. Until you get to the source or source of this trash, it will continue to haunt you, right? And and the other part of it is, is you don't ever really get rid of all of it because... Whether it's shame or anger or fear or scarcity, which, by the way, are often very connected to the same patterns and the same emotions. They just get labeled all the way different, right? But the reality is there'll be adversaries in constant pursuit because of the cellular memory that exists in your body until the day that you die. So the, the thing is, is I used to live in these low frequency energetic states, these low emotional states, these anger moments that would cause damage in my world. I'd live in them for months and years, Right. And, and then I started to raise my awareness and doing the work and then I'd live in it for months and sometimes weeks. But the reality of it is, is, what I'm trying to teach everyone is that it doesn't have to last longer than minutes and moments. We genuinely have the ability to put ourselves in the present. And if we can separate ourselves from the moment of reaction and understand what it's actually about,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we often don't even have to react. But it takes a lot of work to get there. So the next step, I will tell you, is ownership. Awareness is there, but ownership is the next piece because this is actively accepting your part or your responsibility for your issues in life, business, relationships, and health. Again, blame and shame are off the table because this is about perspective, right? Ownership was that time in April of 2021 when my wife sat down with me only nine months after I executed my buy-sell in the $15 million business I'd built the 10 years prior sitting here knowing that I left just to pour into people to become exactly who they are and live the lives that they want. And I got to sit there and listen to my wife say that things I'd done, ways that I'd shown up, patterns I'd created had contributed to a path of her losing who she was. It led to anger conversations that I didn't even know I was angry, right? Buried so deep it could barely be excavated. And the reality of it is, is when I shut off physical pain because it exceeded my ability to cope, I shut off emotional pain Spiritual pain and mental pain for 20, 25 years. Right. Right. And I hid behind that narrative. And I genuinely believe that if we do not feel, we do not heal. But ownership meant hey, guess what? I had to own the fact that those reaction moments created damage in my relationship that caused a lack of emotional safety for my wife. Those Ways that I showed up with my kids in the first five years of their life created belief systems within them because of the energy that Dad would bring into the environment that wasn't what they deserved or what they were worth.
0: Absolutely. But I had to
1: own that my anger and protection kept me more distant from my in-laws for the first fourteen years of our relationship because I didn't trust something that I couldn't get through. Right. Mm -hmm. Like so, what happened? I admit the anger to my wife, clear my calendar for the next ten days, and I go and I have breakfast with her parents talking about how their daughter deserves better how I'm going to show up better how they're going to do these things and her dad reinforced one of the points I've been teaching my son since the day he was born the world will never judge you based on your intent the world will always judge you based on your actions essentially what he said to me in that moment is essentially what he said to me in that moment is great you talk too much show me
0: Uh, yeah stop just talking walk the walk like doing.
1: ownership is is literally creating repair mm. as well right because when you create damage you have to one own it but you have to go then create the repair because without repair the energy still exists the disconnection still exists there's no ability to diffuse neutralize and move through something
0: yeah so good so, so as we're about to wrap up I, I, are there other stuffs that you just want to make sure that we hit before we end I'll, the- I'll hit them at
1: the highest highest level okay. Unpacking is the heaviest part. This is where we feel for the purpose of healing. Okay, This is allowing yourself to feel the trash from your past and understand physiologically how it shows up in your body. This is one of the points I wanted to make based on what you were saying before, because this is where we get deeper. Often, I'll say to someone after the question, who was the last person that made you feel like garbage? They know immediately. It's like, OK, well, what did that feel like in your body? Most people will label it with like either a, a, an emotion or a label that describes it, right? So it'll either be like, oh man, I felt anxious or I felt stressed or I yeah. felt heavy or I felt a little bit of weight. Physiologically, what's going on in your body? What's going on with your heart rate? What's going on with your lungs? What's going on? Like, do you feel tension anywhere? Like what is, ha- you have to be able to identify those pieces because that's where you start to heal and repair. Um, flipping the lid is the fifth pillar. What this is, is can be done in a moment, but it can also be done regularly and consistently at the end of the day. This is laying out your trash in the light, again, objectively, non-judgmentally, and reviewing each day what those moments of trigger have been, what the emotional and intellectual narratives were, so that you can start to unpack and find real truth, right? This is also in the moment now, if my wife asks me a question that I don't hear clearly and I react to it, I can also flip my lid real time and say, hey, babe, I just reacted to what you said, which tells me I probably didn't hear you correctly. Can you please restate it? And if I'm not able to calm down, maybe we can pause this and revisit it later so that there's nothing that escalates, right? It's real time awareness, ownership, and unpacking in the moment so that I prevent damage before it ever is created. Mm -hmm. That's where we start to change patterns and reestablish trust. And then move is the the piece that I think is really important because it's how does it move through your body? How does it move through your world so you can move through it? Okay. Moving through your body is those physiological responses. I told you two different ways shame showed up in my body, right? Anger reaction in one way, shame reaction I shrunk down in another way. Shame moves through my body five or six different ways. Anger moves through my body five or six different Mm -hmm. ways. But I need to know that because then I can start to identify what are the things externally that trigger me. I have over 50 shame triggers that I'm aware of and over 60 anger triggers that I'm aware of. Why is that important? Because when my doorbell goes off and my two little chihuahuas start barking and my tension goes through the roof because I want to slam something through the window because it drives me crazy from a sensory perspective, I need to be able to calm my energy so that when either one of my two special needs kids jumps in my lap right after that, Mm -hmm. They get calm, neutral, safe, gentle dad, not reactionary energy because that's what they're feeling. So I have to know these patterns so that I can catch myself and move through them and understand what I'm separating. I know I talked fast. I know we're wrapping up, but Um. the pillars... And only halfway through, weren't going to give the, the, the justice and the path. Uh, you know what? I think,
0: and, and also you could be my first guest that nobody will be listening double time. In fact, they'll probably be listening at 50% time, <laughs> which is so great. One question I do want to ask you, and I often ask it either during the show or after is if you could go back and change what happened to you when you were seven or what happened to you when you were 20, would you?
1: I would never change anything that happened to me. Like I said, I get moved by what I can do with it. Mm -hmm. I would change actions and decisions that I made had I had more knowledge. But the reality of it is, is that those were the best I could do in that moment as well. And they ultimately led me to where I am to have the knowledge, wisdom and experiences I do. So, you know, I, I can beat myself up for those moments that I used to scare my kids when I would scream when they were little. But my seven-year-old daughter, almost eight, and my nine-year-old son don't even remember their dad that way anymore. Hmm. And so the reality of it is I wish I could take that back and get that time back, but I can't. What I can do is focus on right now. And that's just how I live my life. One breath, one moment, one step at a time.
0: Brian, what a great conversation. And how can people follow you, get into your world? What's the best place to send them?
1: If you're on the web, go to brianbogert.com. If you're on social media, on all channels, including YouTube and LinkedIn, it's at Bogert Brian. We love to engage with those that engage with us. And uh, we realize that 99.999% of those billion lives that we impact will never pay us a dollar. So we have lots and lots and lots of resources because we want to make sure that everyone, regardless of their ability to pay, can get the resources they need to move and grow in their life.
0: Brian, such a strong message. Thank you again for being here, for sharing your story, for being vulnerable enough, and for creating what you have done with your programming. It is making so much incredible progress in our world today. So again, thank you for being here. And until next time, everyone, you got to live now, love now, and start the relaunch now. Don't wait. We'll see you next week. You've just heard another episode of the Relaunch Podcast. If something shared in this episode resonated with you, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a five-star review and share this episode with others to inspire them to take the small steps that lead to a life full of purpose and possibility. And remember, you can have immediate access to the show notes and any giveaways at therelaunchco.com backslash podcast. Until next week, now is your time to relaunch your transition into a transformation.